Uh, this would be so much easier if I knew any songs about rabbits. <clears throat> Hello, friends, foes, undecided. Um, <laughs> this is Jory. It's just me today. And welcome to episode two of Do You Know This Story? Been a while, I know. Anyways, so today's episode, the theme is rabbit season. And no, we are not going to be hunting rabbits. Instead, we are going to be enjoying some Canadian fairy tales that come from our indigenous peoples up there based on the trickster known as rabbit. This is in fact a bunny rabbit who I'm pretty sure can probably walk on his two legs and he goes on adventures and he does a bunch of things and you're probably going to be surprised to hear that I think he's kind of a he's like a true neutral well no he's more like a chaotic good I don't know I couldn't really pinpoint like how to describe him I mean he's a trickster he's there's there's like two types of tricksters there's a good trickster and then there's the bad trickster um the trickster who does what they do because they like causing chaos and mal and they do it out of malice and then there's the tricksters who do what they do not really meaning to hurt anybody they just do it because reasons they have their reasons and usually there there are some who are revered as heroes there's some who are just like oh you're here and then there's others where it's like you should not be in this person's vicinity ever if you see them run in the opposite direction but rabbit is one of those good guys he's a good little trickster he's a fun trickster he's got a lot going on and we will probably come back to rabbits in the i can't say near future i'm not the one who decides what our themes are i have my own system that does the picking for me so that i can stop crying at night anyways <laughs> uh, anyways so our main theme is rabbits and our pop culture reference for this episode is the ghost known as the woman in white and this comes to us from the first episode of season one of supernatural very interesting mix of topics here you know what i didn't even think to consider if you know what never mind never mind it doesn't matter it doesn't matter so a little bit more background on rabbits because well i'm sure most of us know what they are and what they look like and that they're very cuddly and cute and sometimes scary there's also a bunch of other cultures out there who use the rabbit as a symbol to mean lots of different things so in terms of most native american uh and i mean north american native american the indigenous peoples of canada the indigenous peoples of the united states of america they kind of i don't know if they have the similar viewpoint on how rabbit works but this is just what i was able to find so worldwide rabbits have been symbols of fear longevity fertility good luck and creativity now on a primal basis they are 
representing fear, sexuality, abundance, and prosperity, which I never really considered rabbits to be a symbol of fear. Uh, that just it isn't really my relationship with rabbits. I do see where fear can come from, though, because they are a prey animal and they have a lot of other creatures out there who would love to eat them, humans included. I personally would never because I just don't eat things that I consider cute. So, uh, there's that. <laughs> I know some people will be like, you shouldn't be eating animals at all. But like, listen, I reserve my right to be an omnivore. Anyways, as I was saying. <laughs> so, as a prey animal, rabbits have to escape from their predators by using their natural speed and intelligence. I didn't know this, but apparently rabbits are very, very smart. I don't know why I f that never seemed to come up in anything I would learn about them, but also I'm not a zoologist, so there's no real reason why I should know, but that does explain Bugs Bunny, because that, that bunny is a smart aleck and I love him for it. I love Bugs Bunny, and Bugs Bunny kind of reminds me of the Native American version of rabbit where he's basically a trickster. I mean, he goes around, like he puts on funny disguises. Sometimes he gets injured, but he recovers really fast. He outsmarts people that try to hurt him, turns the tables a lot of times. It's, I'm kind of seeing it, you know? So with that being said, they use their natural speed and intelligence to evade getting eaten by their natural predators. They're also naturally nocturnal, which I did not know. I, but that does explain several things. Like how when I first moved to this neighborhood a long, long time ago when I was a little bit of a baby, I remember we used to have rabbits just run around all the time. And I guess the reason we don't see them anymore is because they only come out at night, which is fair. It's It's fair. That and they probably left the neighborhood a long time ago because there are so many dogs out here. There's too many dogs. I have too many dogs in my house as we speak. <laughs> so because of their uh because they're nocturnal, they are also associated with the moon, which I find interesting because, like I said, this this is podcast is about linking everything to pop culture it's all circling around and you're gonna see what I mean so when I heard when I saw that rabbits are connected and like associated with the moon it kind of got me thinking about the anime series Sailor Moon who for those of you who don't know her original Japanese name is Yusagi Tsukino and Yusagi is Japanese for rabbit so um and also like a long time ago <laughs> one time at summer camp <laughs> me and my friends were all looking at the moon and it was a big nice juicy full moon and it wasn't like blinding us because it wasn't dark yet it was the sun was setting and we could see the moon and we were all looking at it. And you know how everybody always says like, there's the man on the moon. I personally could never really see like the man in the moon of which these people spoke of, but I personally saw a bunny or a sailboat. 
I kind of saw two different things. If you look at it, it's if you tilt your head one way and then squint one eye, <laughs> they can. Look, it looks like those crater formations just look like a bunch of different things, at least to me. So that's what I was very. That's what I found interesting. Another thing is that along with being a symbol of like fertility and prosperity, Rebus can also be a symbol of rebirth. And I'm going to take it back to Sailor Moon because Yusaji, Sailor Moon, is a reincarnation of the princess of the moon, Princess Serenity. It all circles back. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's there. I see it. I see you. I see I see you. I see you seeing me. I see you seeing me. You see me seeing you seeing me. So there. That's what I have to say. <laughs> so in Native American folktales, Rabbit uses his wit as a trickster to get himself into and out of a lot of sticky situations. Like he kind of gets himself into these situations where it's like, you brought this on yourself, man. Why would you, this was a terrible idea from the get go, but he's like, eh, sometimes he learns his lesson. Other times he just gets away with his shenanigans. <sighs> and honestly, <laughs> doesn't that just sound like Bugs Bunny? <laughs> Uh, so despite all this, he is regarded as a romantic, uh, a romantic, oh my God, he, <laughs> despite all of this, he is regarded as a heroic figure and like his stories are just very fun and funny. He does wacky things. Sometimes he dies and then just revives again. I, I'm telling you the Bugs Bunny energy. This is where it came from. Okay, but also, so the reason that it has been taking me so long to do research on this episode in particular, because I've had this episode in the works for over two weeks and I wanted it to be out sooner, but I had a question because I noticed something while I was researching stories and that was that rabbit eats meat, okay? He eats meat. Now that's an issue for me because my brain knows that rabbits are herbivores, which means they only eat plants. So it was all, it was just confusing to me that he would go around like eating meat. Like a lot of the stuff had to do with him being hungry and he wanted meat. And I just, I looked everywhere I could think of. And honestly, it probably wasn't that much. I, I had the question and I guess I didn't ask the question correctly. I just wanted to know why is it that the Native American version of rabbit eats meat? I found a story that explains why he no longer eats meat, but why did he eat meat in the first place? Like why, why? I just needed to know and I could not find the answers. If you know the answer, please, please go to my Twitter. <laughs> We have a Twitter now. It's do you know the story or at Freeman underscore Jory. That's J-O-R-Y because I have questions and I don't have answers. And this is the one time that I would love an answer. So that being said, I did find some information about the cousin of the rabbit known as a hare, as in from the tortoise and the hare. Now, I didn't get into the nitty gritty and the zoology of what differentiates a hare from a bunny or 
like what are what why is it called a jackrabbit like I don't know I don't know I didn't look that up but I did find that it has been observed that hares specifically the snowshoe hare of the Yukon Territory in Canada they need to rely on meat during the winter in order to survive because like I said these animals are typically herbivores but because it gets so cold in Canada and all the plants die off and the hares need to be able to survive, they res- they have been observed to resort to eating meat, which means they also do eat each other. They practice cannibalism. Now, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But I just found that so fascinating. And this this episode isn't about hares though because they they do have their own subset of stories and this is not about them this is about rabbit but i just wanted you all to know that that blew my mind and i was a little scared and i don't want to know how terribly cold it can get in canada but it seems like it's really bad so i don't know what that means for our heroic literary rabbit in these stories but That's just a nice bit of information for you to know. Aren't you so glad? All right, that's enough of my lecture for now. (laughs) I have three stories for you today. One is called Rabbit and the Grain Buyers. Another is called Rabbit and the Moon Man. And the other is called Rabbit and the Indian Chief. Now, I really enjoyed reading these and I hope you will enjoy listening to them. And so here is Rabbit and the Moon Man, a Canadian Native American fairy tale. Once, long ago, Rabbit lived with his old grandmother deep in the Canadian forest, far from all other people. He was a great hunter, and all around, far and near, he laid snares and traps to catch game for food. It was winter, and he caught many little animals and birds. He brought them home daily to feed himself and his old grandmother, and he was well pleased with his success. But after some weeks had passed, he was unable to catch any game. He always found his traps and snares empty, although many tracks were always around them, and there were many signs that animals were prowling about. He knew then that he was being robbed nightly, and that a thief was pilfering his traps. It was very cold, and the snow lay deep in the forest, and Rabbit and his old grandmother were in dire need of food. Every morning, Rabbit rose very early and hurried off to his traps, but always he found them empty, for the thief had been ahead of him. He was greatly puzzled, for he could not think who the thief was. At last, one morning, after a new fall of snow, he found the mark of a long foot near his traps and he knew it was the foot of the food robber. It was the longest footprint he had ever seen, long and narrow and very light, like a moonbeam. And Rabbit said, Now I shall rise earlier in the morning, and I shall go to my traps ahead of the thief and take my game so that they will all be empty when he comes. Each morning, he rose earlier to catch the thief, but the man of the long foot was always there before him and his game was always gone. No matter how early Rabbit got up, the thief was always ahead of him, and his traps were always empty. So, Rabbit said this to his old grandmother, The man of the long foot who robs my traps is always up ahead of me. No matter how early I rise, I will make a snare from a bowstring, and I will watch all this night. 
and I will surely catch him. He made a trap from a stout bowstring and set it beside his snares, and took the end of the bowstring some distance away to a clump of trees, behind which he hid. He hoped that the thief would step into the trap. Then he would pull the bowstring and tie him fast to a tree. He sat very quiet, waiting for the man of the long foot to appear. It was moonlight when he set out, but soon it grew very dark in the forest. The moon suddenly disappeared, but the stars were all shining on the white snow, and there were no clouds in the sky, and Rabbit wondered what had happened to the moon. He waited, very still and a little frightened in the starlight. Soon, he heard someone coming sneaking stealthily through the trees. Then he saw a white light which dazzled his eyes. The light went towards the snares until it stopped just at the trap rabbit had set. The rabbit pulled the bowstring, closed the trap as he had hoped, and tied the string fast to a tree. He heard sounds of a struggle, and he saw the white light move from side to side. But he knew that he had his prisoner fast, and the man of the long foot was caught at last. He was much afraid of the white light, and he ran home as fast as he could and told his old grandmother that he had caught the game robber in the trap, and that he did not know who he was, for he was too frightened to look. And his grandmother said, You must go back and see who it is, and tell him you must stop robbing your snares. But Rabbit said, I do not want to go until daylight, for the moon has gone down and the forest is very dark. But his grandmother said, You must go. So poor Rabbit although he was very frightened by what he had seen, set out again for his traps. When he drew near to his snares, he saw that the white light was still shining. It was so bright that his eyes were dazzled and he had to stop far from it. Then he approached nearer, but his eyes soon became very sore. There was a stream flowing beside him, and he bathed his eyes in the cold water, but it brought him no relief, and his eyes felt hot and red and tears fell from them because of the dazzling light. Then he took great handfuls of snow and threw snowballs at the light, hoping thereby to put it out. But when the snowballs came near to the light, they melted and fell down like rain. Then, with his eyes still smarting, Rabbit, in his rage, scooped up great handfuls of soft black mud from the bottom of the stream, and, forming it into balls, he threw them with all his force at the white light. He heard them strike something with a dull thud, and he heard loud yells from the prisoner the man of the long foot, behind the shining light. Then a voice came from the light saying, Why did you snare me? Come and untie me at once. I am the man in the moon. It is near the morning, and before dawn I must be on my way home. You have already spotted my face with mud, and if you do not cut me loose at once, I shall kill all your tribe. Poor Rabbit was more frightened than before, and he ran home and told his old grandmother what had happened. And his grandmother was also very frightened for she thought that no good could come of it. And she told Rabbit to go back at once and untie the man in the moon, for the night was almost spent and the dawn would soon be breaking. So poor Rabbit, trembling in his fear, went back to his traps. From a great distance, he cried, I will untie you if you will never again rob my snares and if you will never come back to earth. And the prisoner in the trap promised and said, I swear it by my white light. Then Rabbit approached very carefully he had to shut his eyes and grope his way because of the bright light, and his lip quivered because of the great heat. At last, he rushed in and cut the bowstring snare with his teeth, and the man in the moon hurried on his way, for he could already see the dawn in the east. But Rabbit was almost blinded while he was about it, and his shoulders were badly scorched, and ever since then, 
Every time Rabbit blinks, his eyelids are pink, and water runs from his eyes when he looks at a bright light, and his lip always quivers. His shoulders are yellow, even when he wears his white winter coat, because of the great light and heat on that winter night long ago when he untied the man in the moon from the snare. And since that night, the man in the moon has never come back to earth. He stays at his task in the sky, lighting the forest by night. But he still bears on the, his face the marks of the black mud which Rabbit threw at him. And sometimes, for several nights, he goes away to a quiet place where he tries to wash off the mud. Then the land is dark. But he never succeeds in cleaning himself. And when he comes back to his work, the marks of Rabbit's mud balls are still upon his shining face. So, as you can tell, this story explained several things about what happens in real life. Actually, well, okay, I don't know if the thing about the rabbit is true, like with his uh, shoulders being yellow, but that's because there are a bunch of different breeds of bunnies. So that's probably true for some bunnies. I've personally have only seen like some spotted bunnies or some pure brown bunnies um, with little white underbellies and white legs. But this also explains why there are those dark spots on the moon, which are actually craters, and why the moon goes away, as in the phases of the moon. Why sometimes he's, the moon just isn't there. It's because he's trying to wash his face, but he's not succeeding. And I think that's sad. <laughs> On to the next story. Now, this story is called Rabbit and the Grain Buyers. Now, this one definitely paints Rabbit in a uh, negative light, at least in my eyes. But it is also very amusing and very funny. This is Rabbit and the Grain Buyers. Once long ago, when the Indians lived in Canada before the white men came, Rabbit was very lazy. He had worked long for Glooscap, the great ruler of the people, as a forest guide, but his toil was not appreciated or rewarded. He saw all the other animals idling their time away, taking their ease all day long and doing nothing but filling their bellies with food and sleeping all the afternoon in the hot sunshine. And he said, why should I work for other people when nobody works for me? I will take mine ease like all the other animals. So. He sulked in his little house for a long time and could not be coaxed or driven to do any work. But as he was a lonely fellow who always lived by himself with a very few friends in the world except for little children, he soon got tired of his lazy life. For by nature, he was industrious and energetic and he always liked to be doing something or prowling alone in the forest. So he said, I must find work to do or I shall surely lose my wits. But it must be labor that brings profit to myself and not to other people. For a long time, Rabbit puzzled his brains, thinking of a business or a profession to follow. But nothing seemed to be to his liking. At last, one day, he saw some Indians trading skins and knives. One was selling and the others were buying, and they seemed to be making a great deal of money without doing very much work. Rabbit thought, that here indeed was an easy way to make a living. Then he saw Duck coming along, carrying a basket of eggs. He said to Duck, how do you get along in the world? 
You seem to do nothing but eat and cackle and swim in the pond. You never seem to work. And Duck said, I lay eggs and sell them in exchange for corn. Why don't you lay eggs? It is all very easy. But Rabbit knew that Duck was only laughing at him and that he was not meant to make a living in that way. Then he met Bee on the forest path and he said, How do you make a living, you wandering bee? You do nothing but gad about all day long, going from flower to flower, dressed in your good clothes of yellow and black, and always singing your tuneless song. And Bee said, I make honey and wax and sell them. I have a great store for sale now. Why don't you do as I do? I am always happy. I always sing at my work. And what's more, my song is not tuneless. And just for your impudence, take that! And so, saying, he stung Rabbit on the nose and went on his way, singing his droning song. Rabbit rubbed his nose in the earth to ease his pain, and he swore vengeance on Bee, for he knew that Bee, too, was only laughing at him. But he could think of no way to make an easy living, for he had nothing to sell but his coat, and he would not very well barter that, for winter would soon be coming. He was very angry and troubled, and he envied Duck and Bee their good fortune because of their eggs and honey and wax. At last, he thought of the Indians he had watched buying and selling skins. I have it, he cried. I have it. I will become a great merchant. I will be a great trader. I will live on a farm where they grow corn and vegetables, and I will steal them and sell them to the other animals, and thereby make a great store of money. I shall be very rich in a short time. So, very happy, he went to a field near which was a vegetable garden, and in it were growing Indian corn and all kinds of grain, which he knew the other birds and animals would gladly buy. So, he made a sign and put it up in front of his house, and it said, Buy rabbit's corn, the best in all the land. It will grow without rain. There is only a small quantity left. Orders taken here. Rabbit very much understood capitalism. Then he sat in his house and waited. Soon, many buyers began to arrive. They were curious, and they wanted to see what kind of merchant Rabbit would make. Rabbit explained to them that he was only an agent, that they must pay him their money, and he would take it to the farmer and deliver their grain at his house one week from that day. The buyers paid him the money and went away for they were afraid the farmer would kill them if they went themselves for the corn. They left a great store of money with Rabbit. That night, when the moon rose over the hills, Rabbit went to the field of corn nearby. But the farmer had spied him thieving that afternoon, and he had placed around his corn a fence of strong netting, which poor Rabbit could not get through. And he had also placed around the field many watchdogs, which growled and snarled and frightened thieves away. Night after night, Rabbit tried to slip into the field, but without success. And the week passed, and still he had no corn for the customers, who he knew would soon be arriving for their goods. And meanwhile, he had spent all their money, and he knew they would all fall upon him and kill him if he failed to keep his word and deliver their purchases. At last, when the agreed-on day arrived, he saw his customers coming for their grain, and he hoped that his tricks would save him as they had saved him many times before. He sat in his yard playing his flute, when Earthworm, 
the first customer arrived. Good day, said Rabbit. Good day, said Earthworm. I have come for my corn for a week has gone by. Very good, said Rabbit. But first we shall have dinner. It will be ready in a few minutes. You must be hungry after your long journey. As they sat waiting for their dinner, they saw Duck, another customer, waddling up the path with her basket on her neck. And Rabbit said, Will not old Duck who comes here want to eat you up? And Earthworm said, Yes, yes, where shall I hide? And he was much excited. Hide under this clamshell, said Rabbit. So Earthworm crawled under the clamshell and sat very still, trembling for his life. When Duck arrived, Rabbit said, Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Merchant, said Duck, wishing to be polite. I have come for my corn, for it is the appointed day of delivery. True, true, said Rabbit. But first, we shall have dinner. It will be ready in a few minutes. It will be an honor for me to have you dine with me. As they sat waiting for their dinner, Rabbit said, Would you care to eat an earthworm before your dinner? It would be a good appetizer for you. And Duck said, Thank you very much. I am very fond of earthworms. Rabbit lifted the clamshell, and poor earthworm was quickly gobbled up by Duck. And Rabbit, laughing to himself, thought, hmm, Now I am getting rid of my customers. As Rabbit and Duck sat talking, they saw Fox trotting up the path. He was another customer coming for his corn, and Rabbit said courteously, Madam, I see your old enemy Fox approaching. He will probably wish to eat you up. You had better hide. And Duck, with her feathers all ruffled with excitement, said, Yes, yes, where shall I hide? And Rabbit said, Hide under this basket. So Duck crawled under the overturned basket and sat very still. Fox soon came in and said, Good day, Rabbit. I have come for my corn, for I am in sore need of it to catch chickens, and the seven days have passed. You are very punctual, said Rabbit, but first let us have dinner. We'll be ready in a few minutes. It'll make you stronger to carry your heavy load. As they sat waiting for their dinner, Rabbit said, Listen, Fox, would you care to eat a fat duck now? It would be a tasty bit for you before dinner. And Fox said, you are very kind. I always like to eat a duck before my dinner. Rabbit knocked over the basket and Fox quickly devoured poor duck until not a feather remained. And Rabbit laughed to himself and said, oh, Surely I am getting rid of my customers very easily. As Rabbit and Fox sat talking over old times in the forest, they saw Bear coming lumbering up the path, tossing his head from side to side and sniffing the air. And Rabbit said, Bear is in a bad temper today. I wonder what can be the cause. And Fox said, This morning I stole all his honey, and he saw me running away. He senses you here, said Rabbit. Will he not kill you if he finds out? Perhaps you ought to hide. Yes, yes, but where shall I hide? Hide in this box, said Rabbit. And Fox sprang into the box, and Rabbit closed down the lid. When Bear arrived, he said gruffly, for he was in a bad temper. Good day, Rabbit. I've come for my corn, and I must have it quickly, for I must be on my way. It is the appointed time. It is indeed the appointed time, said Rabbit. But first, shall we have dinner? It'll be ready in a few minutes, and I never let a wayfarer leave my house without first taking nourishment. I have today a dish of fresh fish, which you like very well. We have never dined together. And Bear agreed to wait, and his gruffness left him at the thought of his good meal for he was a great fish eater, and he talked pleasantly. Then Rabbit said, I have a secret to tell you. Let me whisper it. He put his mouth close to Bear's ear and said, 
old fox, the sly thief who stole all your honey this morning, is hiding in the box by your side. He came here to boast about his theft, and he laughed loudly to me as he told me how easily you were cheated. He called you lack brains. Bear was very angry, and at once he knocked the lid off from the box and killed Fox with one blow of his powerful paw. And Rabbit said to himself, What luck I am having. There is another of my customers gone. But he wondered how he was to get rid of Bear, and he scratched his head and thought. While Bear and Rabbit sat talking, they saw Rabbit's last customer, the hunter, coming along. Bear would have run away, but it was too late. Will the hunter not want to kill you? said Rabbit. Glad to think that here was the end of poor Bear. Indeed he will, said Bear. Oh dear, oh dear, where shall I hide? Hide under my bed in my house, said Rabbit. Poor Bear quickly dashed into the house and crawled under Rabbit's bed with great difficulty, for he was very fat and the bed was very low, and he had to lay himself out flat on the floor. But he was comfortable in the thought that he would soon escape. When Hunter arrived, he said, Good day, Rabbit. I have come for my corn, for my children need bread. You shall have it, said Rabbit. But first, we must have a bite to eat. I have not very much to offer you, but I can give you in a few minutes some hot pancakes and fresh maple syrup. Yum! The hunter was well pleased with the thought of such a good meal, and he said he would be glad to wait. Then Rabbit said, Would you like some bear meat for your children, and a good warm bear skin for your hearth? And the hunter said, Indeed I would, but in these days such luxuries are hard to find. And Rabbit said, Oh, no, they are not. Under my bed in my house, a good fat bear is hiding. He is lying flat on his back, and you can easily kill him. The hunter hurried to the house, and sure enough, there he found Bear hiding under the bed, flat upon his back. He killed him with a blow and skinned him and cut him up into small pieces and put the meat and the skin into a bag to take home to his children. But while he was about it, Rabbit slipped away into the forest, saying to himself, Now I have got rid of all my customers and I am safe, but the life of a merchant is not to my liking. I will not be a traitor anymore. I will gather corn for myself, but not sell it to others. And then he ran quickly away and hid himself in the dense thicket. When the hunter went to look for Rabbit, he could not find him, nor was he able to find his grain. And although he thought he had fared pretty well by getting so much bear meat, he swore vengeance on Rabbit for his deceit. And to this day, he searches for him. And if he meets him, he will not let him escape. And Rabbit lives by himself and keeps away from the hunter as far as he can, for he fears him because of the trick he played upon him in the olden days. So that story was interesting rabbit's out here getting rid of his customers because he couldn't make good on his promise which is not the best way to solve your problems but that's all i have to say and i guess also the story is used to explain why people be hunting rabbits if you call yourself a hunter you're just automatically going to have an issue with rabbits i suppose have you found him yet because i haven't just kidding i'm not a hunter so i'm not looking anyways our final story is called Rabbit and the Indian Chief. This is the last Native American fairy tale featuring Rabbit, and this one actually shows off how heroic he can be, which I think is good. Hopefully we'll be able to clear his name after all this, and maybe we'll learn... We won't really learn why he eats meat in the first place, but I think we're going to understand why he's a vegetarian now. 
Long ago, an Indian chief was living with his people far in the Canadian forest. Life was good, and food was plentiful, and the people were all very happy. But one day, a wicked giant and his old witch wife came crashing into the land from a far country beyond the prairies. They devoured all the food they could lay their hands on, and soon there was little left to eat in all the country. And often, they carried off little children into their hiding place and ate them up until not a trace of them remained. Somewhere far in the forest, they dwelt in a hidden cave. They slept all day long, but at night, they always stalked forth in search of plunder. The chief was much troubled, and with his warriors, he tried in every way to discover their hiding place, but no one ever succeeded in finding it for by the use of their magic power, the giant and his old witch wife could make themselves invisible when they, when they walked alongside men, and they could not be caught. The chief called all his warriors to a council, and he said, Who can rid me of this pest? Who can kill the giant? But not a man replied. And when he saw his people's store of food rapidly growing smaller, and the little children of his tribe slowly disappearing, he was greatly puzzled as to what to do. One night of bright moonlight, Rabbit was prowling through the woods, as was his custom, in search of someone who he could play a prank on, for he was a great joker. Suddenly, he came upon the giant and his old witch wife standing by an opening in the side of a low mountain. He watched them for a long time from the shadow of a great tree, and at last he saw them enter a large hole in the side of the hill. He knew now that he, by accident, found the giant's cave, and he was well pleased by his discovery. But he kept this secret to himself, for he thought, Here is a good chance for me to win fame. I will kill the giants by a crafty trick, and I will be looked upon as a great warrior, the foremost in all the land, for all the chief's men have failed to find the giant. So he went to the chief and said, Oh, chief! I know where the giants live, and I swear to you that I am going to kill them. It is I alone who can rid you of these pests. You, said the chief in great surprise. Little harm the likes of you can do to giants. They will eat you up in one mouthful. And he laughed loudly at Rabbit's boldness. And he called to his warrior, saying, See what a stout fighter we have here. Little Rabbit says he can do what we have failed to do. He swears that he will kill the giants. <laughs> he is better fitted to kill a mouse. And they all laughed at hard at Rabbit's vanity. Poor Rabbit's pride was deeply hurt by the chief's scorn and the warrior's cruel laughter. But it all made him more determined than ever to slay the thieving giants. So he went to an old woman who lived nearby and said, Give me an old faded dress and a ragged old shawl and your colored spectacles and a hat with a feather in it. The old woman wondered what tricks he was up to now, but she gave him what he asked for. He put on the tattered old dress and the battered old hat with a red feather sticking from the top, and he wrapped the old shawl about his face, and he wore the woman's colored spectacles as he carried around a crooked stick. Dressed in this fashion, he set out towards evening for the giant's home. When he reached the mouth of the cave, he stood still and waited, leaning on his crooked stick. 
for night was coming on, and he knew that the giants would soon be going out on their plundering rounds. After a time when it was quite dark except for the moonlight, the giant's old witch wife came out of the cave. When she saw a rabbit in the dim light, she said gruffly, Who are you, standing there in the shadows? Oh, my dear niece, said rabbit, I have found you at last. I am your poor old aunt. I thought I had lost my way. I have come to see you from your home in the far country. It was a long journey, and my poor old legs and back are stiff and sore, and I am very hungry and tired. And he moved slowly towards the woman, hobbling along with his crooked stick. The giant woman was deceived, and she threw her arms around Rabbit and kissed him, and she did not feel his whiskers or his split lip because of the old shawl that was wrapped around his face. I have pain in my jaw from sleeping out of doors, said Rabbit, and I must keep my face wrapped up. Come in and rest, and soon you will feel better, said the giant woman. You will have to lead me in, said Rabbit, not wishing to take off the shawl, for my eyesight is very bad. So she led Rabbit into the warm cave, which was so dark that they could scarcely see each other. And she called her husband and said, Here is my dear old aunt, who has come all the way from the far country beyond the prairies. And the giant, believing Rabbit to be his wife's kindred, treated him very kindly, and they showed him the bed where he was to sleep. The woman then gave Rabbit a large piece of dried meat to eat, but Rabbit said, I cannot eat it, for I am old and I have lost all my teeth. Give me an axe to cut it up small. So the woman brought him a sharp axe, and he chopped the meat into small pieces and ate it up. Then he said, I will keep the axe by me, for I shall need it at all my meals. And he placed it beside his bed. The giant said, We are going away to see some friends, but we shall be back before midnight. But before they went away, Rabbit said to the woman, I hope your husband sleeps soundly. I have a bad cough, and I sometimes moan because of the pain in my face and head, and I do not wish to disturb him. And the old giant woman answered, He slumbers too well. When we sleep, we both snore loudly, and when you hear us snoring, you may cough as much as you please, for then you will know that we are sound asleep. Then the man and his witch-wife went away. When the giants came home, Rabbits pretended to be fast asleep. They brought back with them much food, which they hid in a secret place in the side of the cave. Rabbit watched them through the holes in his old shawl around his head. Soon, they went to bed, drowsy after their fat meal. When Rabbit heard them snoring loudly, like a great waterfall, he rose very quietly and crept softly to their bedside. With two blows of his axe, he killed the giant and his wife, one after the other. Then he ran away as fast as he could, carrying with him his old dress and the hat and shawl, for he thought he might need them again. In the morning, he went to the chief's house and told the chief what he had done. The chief laughed scornfully, and he would not believe it until Rabbit brought him to the cave and showed him the slain giants cold and stiff in their bed. The chief's men then took back to the village the great store of food the giants had hidden in the secret place. But the chief and his warriors, although they were glad to be rid of the thieves, were angry at heart 
because Rabbit, who they had laughed at, had done what they failed to do, and they were very jealous of Rabbit and his power. Sometime after this whole ordeal, the chief called all the birds and the animals to a council, and he said, Now that the giants who robbed us of our food are dead and gone, and that we shall never again want for nourishment in my country, I am going to let each animal and bird choose the kind of food he would most like to live on, if he could get it and they shall never want for that kind of food if it can be provided. And he called on each to make the choice. And the bird said, Grain and seeds and worms. And the squirrel said, Nuts. And the fox said, Chickens. And the cat said, Milk. And the dog said, Meat and bones. And the weasel said, Eggs. And the wolf said, Lambs. And the bear said, fish from the frozen sea, and so on, until each animal was called upon and declared his liking. And the chief said, It shall be as you have chosen. But the chief had purposely neglected to summon Rabbit to the council. He was absent on a long journey. Once he came home, he was very angry when he heard what happened, for only the food that was left over was for him to choose. So he went to the chief and said in great wrath, this is a fine return for ridding your land of giants, but that is a way you have. You always reward good deeds with evil. The chief was angry because of Rabbit's insolence, and he said, You are telling lies again. But Rabbit called as witnesses to the truth of what he said. Sheep, goat, and duck, who chanced to be passing by, all stood listening to the quarrel. Old Sheep said, Rabbit has spoken truly. When I was young, I gave the chief much wool to make clothes for his back, and he used me well. But now that I am old, he is going to kill me and eat me up. That is my reward. And the goat said, Rabbit has spoken wisely and justly. I served the chief well in my time and gave him milk. But now that I am old and have no more milk, he is fattening me and getting me ready for slaughter. This is my reward. And Dull Duck said, that is a true saying of Rabbit. Once upon a time, I gave the chief many eggs and young ducklings, but now I have stopped laying. He is soon going to roast me in a pot. That is my reward. The chief could make no answer to these charges, for he knew them to be true, and he offered to do what was in his power for Rabbit. But Rabbit refused to make a choice of food, for he said the best was already gone. He sulked for many months and lived alone by his own efforts as best he could. At last, he decided to take vengeance on the chief. The chief had an old bear which he prized very highly, for the bear did for him many wondrous tricks and brought laughter to him and his warriors when he danced at their feasts. In those olden times, bear had a long bushy tail of which he was very proud. One day, as Rabbit sat on the ice fishing, for it was now winter, Bear came along. There was to be a feast that night, and he was going to dance for the chief, and he was in very good spirits. Where did you get all the fine fish? he asked, for he was a great fish eater. I caught them through the hole in the ice, said Rabbit. It is very easy. Just drop your tail down through the hole, and it will soon be covered with big, fine fish. Bear did as he was told and he sat on the ice for a long time waiting for his prey. He sat so long that the hole froze up, for it was very cold, and in it was frozen poor Bear's long bushy tail. Now, said Rabbit, jump quick, for many fish are hanging on to you. Bear jumped with all his might, 
but his tail was held fast in the ice, and it broke off close to the root. Rabbit laughed in great glee and ran away, and poor Bear howled with pain and shame. He could not dance at the feast because his stub of a tail was sore, and the chief and his warriors were very angry at Rabbit because he had harmed their dancing pet. And since that time, Bear has had a short, stubby tail, which to this day he tries to wag feebly. Rabbit then hid for some days far from the chief and his warriors. Then he decided to try another trick. The chief's woodcutter was an old beaver who lived in a little house of reeds on the bank of a stream. He was very busy now cutting down trees for the chief, for it was near to springtime and the people were in need of logs for building roads over the rivers. One day, Rabbit went to Beaver and said, The chief sent me to you to bring you to a great tree he wishes you to cut down at once. So Beaver went along with him. But when Beaver was busy at his task cutting down the tree, Rabbit hit him a savage blow on the head with a big stick, hoping to kill him and thus again to anger the chief. Poor Beaver fell to the ground and Rabbit ran away. Beaver was only stunned. He got up after a time and went home, muttering to himself and rubbing his sore head. Soon, Rabbit came back to the tree and found Beaver gone. He knew that his blow had failed. Then he put on again his tattered old dress and his ragged shawl and his colored spectacles and the hat with the red feather sticking to the top, and he went to Beaver's house by the stream, hobbling along with his crooked stick. The chief sent me to bring you to a great tree he wishes you to cut down at once, he called. And Beaver said, I have already tried to cut a great tree for him today, and I should have finished it had I not been beaten with a stick until I was stunned. Who struck you? asked Rabbit, laughing to himself. Rabbit struck me, answered Beaver. He is a great robber and a liar, said Rabbit. He is all that, said Beaver, rubbing the lump on his head. So Beaver went along with Rabbit, and Rabbit asked as they went along, how is it that you are alive after that cruel blow? And Beaver said, Rabbit hit me on the head. If he had hit me on the back of my neck, he would have killed me. For there, I keep the secret of my life. When Beaver was busy again at his task, cutting down the tree, Rabbit hit him a powerful blow on the back of the neck, and Beaver fell down dead. Then he cut off Beaver's tail and went away happy for he knew that the chief would be very angry when he found out what happened to his woodcutter. When the chief learned that Beaver had been killed, his wrath knew no bounds, for he could ill afford at this time to lose his best woodchopper. He blamed Rabbit for the deed, but he could not be sure that his suspicions were well-founded. Rabbit kept out of the chief's sight for some weeks, but one day, in early summer, he was very hungry. He saw all the other animals filling their bellies with their favorite food and he decided to forget his sulks and to ask the chief for help. So, he went to the chief and said haughtily, I want you to give me food for my own special use as you have done with the other animals. You must do it at once or I will do you much harm. Then, the chief remembered what Rabbit had done to his dancing bear, and he thought of the death of Beaver, for which he blamed Rabbit without proof, and he grew red with anger. 
He seized Rabbit by the heels and said, Henceforth, the dogs will always chase you, and you will never have peace when they are near, and you will live for the most part on whatever food I throw into you now. Then he whirled Rabbit around and threw him with great force, hoping to drop him in the great black swamp nearby. Rabbit went flying through the air for a great distance, farther than the chief had hoped, and he dropped with a thud into a field of clover on the edge of which cabbages and lettuce were growing. And, since that time, the dogs have always chased Rabbit, and he has lived for the most part on cabbages and lettuce and clover, which he steals on moonlit nights in a farmer's field. And so that last story was a bit of a journey for us and for Rabbit. As you can see, his good deeds did not get rewarded, and for that he definitely deserved to be angry. However, he also committed a murder. So, um... I can't really tell, I can't really say good for him. Uh, it seems like no one really won in this scenario. Well, it seems, <sighs> Rabbit definitely did not win in this scenario. This was very interesting to read the first time I read it because it was just like at first he was going to be the hero and then he got betrayed and then he took revenge and in the end he still really didn't get justice if anything he got punished even more so i thought that was interesting and so i believe this explains uh, this is also used to explain things like it explains why the why bears have short stubby tails um doesn't really explain anything about beavers unless that thing about the back of their neck being their weak point is true in which case yikes and also why rabbit is now a vegetarian he's just not allowed to eat anything else what a strange sad existence but honestly the entire time i was thinking about how this could you could easily just imagine bugs bunny in the role of rabbit for mostly all these stories so I guess what I'm saying is, this should be a movie. <laughs> this should be adapted by Looney Tunes because I think it would be very interesting. This sounds like something that Bugs Bunny would go through. So, that was three fairy tales from the indigenous people of Canada. Um, now, I didn't know if anyone wanted to have like some bonus information, but... Since I had questions, I'm going to pose the questions that I had, and I'm just going to give you some information. So one of the stories mentioned a being known as Glooscap. Now, Glooscap is a legendary figure of the Wabanaki people, and from what I could gather, he's kind of like a creator god, and he's very, he's benevolent, he's kind, he provides for the people. One day we will probably get into his stories because I am very interested in seeing like who he is because this is a character I've never heard of. Like many Native American things, there are just a lot of things that I've never heard of because we don't get taught a lot of about Native American culture in school. We kind of have to do all that ourselves. But that's something to think about. I also want to talk about how in that last story I kind of was wondering about the giants and whether or not they were a metaphor for Europeans just because it was also talking about how like 
they were taking the food and they took the small children. And recently it has been discovered that up in Canada, there are the bodies of Native American children who were buried at a location that was originally a residential school. Now, a residential school in Canada was a place where colonizers would take the children from their homes forcefully and basically assimilate them to European culture. Now, I don't want to get too deep into that because that is a discussion for uh, another day, but it's kind of just heartbreaking to know that that sort of thing happened, that people felt like they had the right to rip children from their parents and try to find ways to eliminate an entire culture by preventing the children of that culture from learning about their culture and adapting it and keeping it going and continuing those traditions. So that's, there's a bunch of other things I want to talk about when it comes to that. Like they cut their hair, they, they bleached their skin. It, it was a lot. It was a lot of a lot. I remember learning about the residential schools in college and being horrified by the basically before and after pictures of the children who were taken and put into this that system and when they came out the the transformation was just a lot so i don't know i don't know if the giants were a metaphor for anything maybe they're just giants and they're just there but i don't know that kind of just popped into my mind while i was reading it like oh oh my god that just sounds like how like all the buffalo almost died out and their resources were being taken and sky sit back down <laughs> so it was a lot of a lot but we're gonna move on to our pop culture reference of the week <laughs> which is saying something because i've already talked about sailor Moon and bugs bunny what more could i possibly talk about well we're gonna talk about uh the woman in white now, when I first was going to research this, there was one specific woman in white that I was going to talk about, and that is La Llorona. But obviously, I have to give you some background into the woman in white and what that is. So our spooky reference for today, the woman in white. <laughs> Holding for dog. Are you comfy? Are you comfy? Okay. Now, the woman in white is a type of ghost and is usually a female. And they seem to come about whenever something tragic has happened. Like something tragic happened to this woman to turn her into a woman in white. And usually it's because, usually they're wearing white because they were wearing white when they died. It's a whole thing. Um, usually though, uh, the tragedy is also intertwined with a love interest. So like maybe the woman in question was in love with somebody and their feelings either weren't reciprocated or their feelings were reciprocated, but then they got cheated on or betrayed in some other way or their, uh, lover like 
died in battle and was not able to come home and they just weren't able to get any closure on that. So when I was doing my research, I found that like in the medieval, in medieval parts of Europe, the white lady, the the various white ladies of the area, I suppose, they usually appear like not necessarily where they died, but they could appear where like in their ancestral home, like you would have a new generation like live in the same house over and over and just not leave the house. And, or if you had a big family and you just had them all living in one space, a woman in white would appear and she usually came to warn of someone dying. Now, what got me interested is that that reminds me of the Banshee. Now, Banshees are, they don't have to be related to a family member, I believe, but they basically are omens of death. Um, but usually a woman in white, she, they, there's a chance that the woman in white will be more of a silent ghost, whereas a banshee is there to, she cries and weeps for those who are going to die. So I thought that was very interesting. Now, obviously, there are a bunch, so they, there are actually a bunch of different types of women in white. I did not know this, but they're all over the place, you guys. There are a ton. Um, but, of course, the woman in white that I'm most familiar with is La Llorona. And any good Texan knows that La Llorona is not to be messed with. And we'll just go over a few... We're going to go over La Llorona's story, and we're also just going to go over, like, a few stories that I found... Um, they're mostly European because I thought we were going to be able, I, I, well, actually, no, they aren't European. I thought I was going to be able to just go down all of their stories, but then I saw how many there were and I said, no. <laughs> so obviously off the top of my head, I'm just going to tell you the story of La Llorona. Now, La Llorona is the ghost of a woman who fell in love with a man and this man hopefully fell in love with her too. I, I sincerely hope that there was love in that relationship at one point because yikes. But anyway, <laughs> so I feel like a gossip. <laughs> so they get married. He's like rich and she's young and beautiful. And they, and she has, they have like two kids. I'm pretty sure two kids in my head. I want to say three, but I'm pretty sure it's two. They either have two boys or a boy and a girl. I don't remember if any stories ever say that they have two girls. I'd like to think that she had a boy and a girl and they were twins. Anyway, um, and so of course, obviously she thinks everything's going fine. She's happy. Like life is grand, you know, you're in love, you have your family, you love your kids. And then bam, your husband went and cheated on you with a younger woman. And I know like f***ing patriarchy, but it still does kind of hurt to A, be cheated on by someone you love and you thought the relationship was going great and you had no idea. Rascal, do you mind? And you had no idea that they were feeling like they just didn't love you enough to stay faithful to you. And also there's just this component about being left for someone younger. It makes you feel like you had an expiration date, you know, but 
that's neither here nor there. And I don't know why I'm saying that, like I lived that experience, but I don't know. That's just how I, I think that's just how I would feel um, because I'm crazy but and scared of love. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So husband cheats on her with another woman. And when La Llorona finds out about this, she is livid because that's the natural reaction to be just when you find out you've been cheated on you're livid you are either super angry or you're super sad or you're both at the same time and you're stabbing somebody while crying into their wounds and it's just a thing it's it's a whole thing but in a fit of rage and despair like she loses her rationality and she sees this and she has her kids with her and they're walking along down by the river over in San Antonio and she saw that her man was cheating and she looked at the kids and the kids look like their daddy so she just drowns them she drowns them she either pushes them into the river or she straight up just holds them under until they stop moving and she lets go of their bodies and by time she like comes to and realizes what she's done which is kill her children she starts screaming and crying and trying to find them but then she probably drowns herself too i can't remember how she dies that would be a good thing to remember but apparently i'm a bad texan anyways uh but yes so but yes so as once she comes back as a ghost she looks for her children up and down the river but she cannot find them oh my god rascal i swear to god but she cannot find she looks for her kids up and down the river but she cannot find them she can't find their bodies she can't find their spirits she just wants to be reunited with them but she can't and the reason i brought this up why i thought my first thought was la llorona is because in season one episode one of supernatural they pick up a woman in white and she very much reminds everyone who like if you don't know now you know like she she reminds you of la llorona because she she always but the thing is she always when she's in the car with Sam and Dean she's well she they they first they had no idea she's a ghost and that actually is a thing there are ghosts who like can get in the car with you and stuff like that but they aren't but not all of them are women in white some of them are just like it's a whole thing I can't even get into it but that's another story for another day because I just we just we don't have time but what it is is that the lady makes them drive to her house but the entire time she's doing this she can't she keeps saying I can't go home but they take her home anyway and when you get there you find out that the reason that she can't go back home is because she killed her kids by drowning them in the bathtub and when she goes back home, her kids' vengeful spirits come and they take her and I don't know, they drag her to her eternal punishment, I suppose, I hope, because honestly, it's what she deserves. 
I don't care who you are, what you've been through. If you kill your kids for, there's no reason to just don't kill your kids. Don't kill your kids. I don't want to hear anything. Don't kill your kids. Especially if your husband makes you angry. Like, yes, they're 50% of him, but they're also 50% of you. And let's, let's be real. Most kids prefer their mom anyway. At least I did. <clears throat> anyway, so like mom, mom is naturally the favorite most of the time. So instead just, but also at the same time, and like Irona's case, like she couldn't just dis divorce her husband and take the kids and leave because at that time she wouldn't have had access to money. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. There's so many, there's layers upon layers and extenuating circumstances, but I don't care what the extenuating circumstances are. Do not kill your kids. Okay. Okay. We all know my stance on that now. Let it be known, Jory does not like child murderers. If I find out that you did it, I'll kill you myself. How about that? All right, we're friends to children on this show. <laughs> Anyways, back to the women in white. <laughs> so just the first three that I found interesting. We have Dama Branca of Brazil, and she's said to be the ghost of a European woman in a thin white dress. Now I say thin white dress, but some people speculate that maybe it's like a nightgown or something. And she just roams around and she's usually very quiet and doesn't really bother anybody. But if you do come across her, there is a good chance that she'll tell you her story and how she died and why. Now, when I was looking this up, it seemed to me that Dama Branca is more than one ghost because there are a lot of stories that were associated with her and I think it mostly is that like her story is all is everyone's story because apparently I, I guess back when Brazil was being like colonized um as we all know throughout history women in general have been oppressed in various ways a lot of them financially, a lot of them sexually, usually both. Um, so this is believed to be a spirit of a young woman who could have possibly been killed by her family members, specifically like her father or some sort of male in the family. Um, and there, there were a lot of, there were a lot of reasons for why these girls would be murdered by their families and what was basically honor killings, but they can all be chalked up to being disobedient and not being, not meeting that standard of womanhood and like being a good wife and daughter and pro loving the wrong person because they're the wrong skin color and things like that. So it's just a lot of a lot. Um, but that is Dama Branca of Brazil, a young Europe European woman who was possibly murdered by her family for, for not being the standard of what women were supposed to be in her time. It's sad to think about. <clears throat> now this one, this one is in Canada. <laughs> we're back in Canada again. And um, this lady doesn't have like an official name. So I'm just going to call her La Dame Blanche 
because she actually has a waterfall named after her. So I know where I'm going to have my destination wedding <laughs> at this waterfall, this probably haunted waterfall. You're okay with that, right, honey? Anyway, <clears throat> so in Canada, there's a legend about a woman who threw herself off of the Mont Montmorency Falls near Quebec City um, after learning that her fiancé was killed in, while fighting the British in the Battle of Beauport. Beauport? Beauport. No, Beauport. Beauport. <laughs> During the Seven Years' War. So the Montmorency Falls was like the favorite spot for this couple. They liked going there and I guess looking at the scenery and looking into each other's eyes and then looking out over the sunset as the water just rushes down. And then there's that little rainbow that comes because the water is spraying out and the sun is at the right angle and it's all beautiful and magical. And that's the spot where she chose to be with her lover because she loved him so much and she didn't want to be without him. Now, the white dress that she appears in is said to be the custom-made wedding gown that she had made for the wedding. So, I don't have anything witty to say about that. I It's just so sad. So, the waterfall that is named after her is close to the, Mon the Montmorency Falls and it's called Chute de la Dame Blanche. So, white lady, wa the, the lady in white waterfall or whatever, however you want to translate that. It's... I mean, with most, most ghost stories are kind of tragic in their own ways. So I guess we shouldn't really be surprised, but it's still sad, you know, like she really loved him and he had to go fight in the war, <sighs> the war. Moving on to Pershta, I'm going to hope that I'm pronouncing this right. Pershta of, oh God, I didn't look up how to look, how to say this, of Rosenberg, uh, in the Czech Republic. Now, Porsta is a young, was a young noble woman. Um, well, she didn't die young, I don't think, but she was a noble woman and she got married, she got married to this guy whose name I'm not going to bother saying because it seems like he sucked. So she was married to this guy and they basically had a loveless marriage. Like she wasn't happy. He, he mistreated her. It was just a bad situation she wasn't happy. He was a jerk. And the reason why her ghost is roaming around, even though it seems that she didn't die a horrible death is because while she was alive, her husband died before her. And on his deathbed, her husband asked her to forgive him for the way that he mistreated her. And she said no, because she had that right, but he cursed her. And so when she died, it is said that her ghost roams all the property that he that he used to own. So she's over in different villas. She's over in different estates. Like she's at, she's wherever he once had holding, she's there. I don't know what white attire it is that she's in, but she's wearing white. And her portrait is on Wikipedia and she was very pretty. So our last one is an Estonian lady in white and she haunts the Hapsalu castle. So her story, which 
is kind of scandalous, if you ask me. This Lady in White story is that a priest fell in love with her, and she found out, and she apparently returned his feelings. So she would disguise herself as a choir boy, and she they, I guess, would find ways to rendezvous with each other. But they were discovered by the uh, bishop of the local church that the priest was working for. So for her punishment, she was entombed in the walls of the castle. As in, like, her skeleton is probably still in the walls. She's in the walls, she's haunting the castle, and I have no idea if the priest was punished. And if he was, I don't know what his punishment was. But I know that she still loves him in death because she goes out onto like the ramparts or the balconies or the watchtowers of the castle and she's looking for him. She's looking for him and he's not there. It's very sad. Gosh, now I just made myself sad. I'm just thinking about all these poor ladies who just, who just wanted love and they couldn't get it or they were just mistreated. There are many, many more women in white, obviously. I just could not get to them all because there are just too many. But that is my segment on our pop culture reference of the week. And we have come to the final act of our podcast today. Every episode has to end with a nice Aesop fable just to give us even more things to ponder on. Let's... All right, our Aesop fable for today is the cat and the rooster. I'm looking at this picture and it looks very interesting. I don't think I've, I've, there are very, there are many Aesop fables that I just don't know about. So this will be interesting. The cat and the rooster. A hungry cat was lurking around the farmyard, searching for something to eat. He came upon an unsuspecting rooster, pecking away at some grain in a corner. Now, the unfortunate rooster was minding its own business, but that meant nothing to the mean cat, who meant to have him for breakfast, come what may. Trying to come up with an excuse to justify what he was planning on doing, the cat approached the rooster angrily and hissed, What a nuisance you are! How dare you crow so loudly and bother everybody when they are trying to sleep! The poor rooster was quite taken aback. But that's my job, he protested in bewilderment. I only crow when it is time for everybody to get up and have breakfast. But the cruel cat wasn't listening. He had already made up his mind. I'm not interested in your excuses. The only thing that matters to me is that I'm hungry. And with that, the vicious cat pounced upon the hapless rooster and gobbled him up then and there. So um, maybe that wasn't a nice thing to listen to in order to mull over. I'm very sorry. I, I thought we were going to have a lighthearted adventure, but I forgot that we're actually supposed to be learning some very hard lessons. Um, if you want to know what that lesson is, the lesson, the moral of this story is bad people don't care about the truth. And I have a lot of things that I want to say about that, but let's just say I agree. I agree, and we have had some real-life examples of that very recently. And that's all I have to say about that. The more things change, the more they stay the same indeed. <laughs> oh my goodness. I hope you enjoyed our 
story. I hope you enjoyed those stories about Rabbit. I hope I made you think about Bugs Bunny and want to go on a Looney Tunes binge because I do now. I've already had my Sailor Moon binge, but that doesn't mean I won't do it again. I could watch that anime like for a million years. I love it so much. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Again, if you want to engage with me anytime, anywhere, my Twitter is do you know the story or at Freeman underscore Jory on Twitter. Again, at Freeman underscore Jory. We also have the Facebook page, which is also Do You Know the Story and the Facebook group and the Discord group called We Know This Story. So if you go over to those pages, you can get the updates on my on my progress for episodes. There's a link to my YouTube channel there. And you can also send in requests or discuss some things with me if you wish or with each other. Let's get some conversations going because as much as I do say that I mostly do this because I like the pop culture references and I like thinking about some of the stories that could very well be turned into movies. It also kind of brings up some discussions on society as a whole, not just pop culture, but that's just how I see it. Remember, bad people don't care about the truth and have a wonderful time. Bye-bye. <laughs>